Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, Francie Kaler, PIs Declassified here. And we have to start on a som- somber note this morning because uh, as the world has been watching the horrible events that took place in Broward County, Florida, our hearts and go out to all of the families there and the, and the students and the entire community, in fact, uh, for the horrible shooting that happened yesterday. So I just wanted to acknowledge that right away before we start our show. And uh, the other thing I want to tell you is that upcoming next month, March 19th, 20th, and 21st, is the NCISS, National Council of Investigative and Security Services, Hit the Hill, and Annual Conference. Joining NCISS is the Council of International Investigators and NAMIC, the National Association for Missing and Exploited Children. This is the annual trick for private investigators to go meet their elected representatives, talk to them about what private investigators do, because most people think that we do maybe illegal things, private investigators, um, unusual things, and the reality is we're all business people who operate within the boundaries of the law. So I wanted to say that, and if you're interested, further interested in the NCSS annual Hit the Hill and Conference, go to www.nciss.org. And today, I want to introduce you, I'm excited to introduce you to Talia Cohen. Talia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. You have such a great, great story about how you got started in this crazy private investigation business. But let's just talk about your background first. So um, I understand you decided to go to uh, the university in Israel. I did. Um, I guess you can call me a bit of a nomad. I, I'm kind of used to moving around a lot. I grew up um, in New York and later uh, relocated to France for a few years. So going to school for college in Israel was um, kind of in the norm uh, in my mindset. Um, I went to the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya, Israel, and I majored or specialized in uh, counterterrorism, homeland security, and conflict resolution. And. And you know it's so uh, it's so interesting as we, as we talked offline before the show. I was just in Israel in May, and it was an amazing experience. And I studied while I was there the counterterrorism, homeless security, and conflict resolution. So yeah, uh, it, it's uh, kind of an unusual connection here. So how did you start out, Talia? Um, well, the how I started into the business. I uh, when I returned from. Israel, um, I was thinking about combining my degree with uh, counterterrorism with uh, maybe a degree in law and kind of going into that niche area. So I started looking for attorneys who already did that that I can maybe work for to get that experience before making that commitment to law school. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
I uh, reached out to, you know, there's not that many of those uh, types of lawyers out there, but I did find one in Maryland who um, he was a solo practitioner and he responded to my email and he said, you know, I'm not really looking to, you know, hire anyone. It's really just me and my paralegal, but uh, we got to talking about, um, you know, my degree in Israel and uh, he mentioned the case that he was working on about the Lod Airport Massacre in uh, 1972 mm-hmm. in Israel. And um, he said he had hired a private investigations company to locate a long-lost family member, um, and they have been trying for the last two years to locate this person to, to no avail. So I think he was just kind of throwing a new grad at bone saying, you know, why don't you just give this a shot and see if you mm-hmm. can find this guy. Um, some people ask me, you know, why, how did I have the guts or, or, you know, confidence to just try and take that job? So, but I just, I wanted to see if I could do it. It was a really intriguing story. Um, I was just out of college and it kind of related to my major. So, I mean, I couldn't say no. Um, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, he gave me the person's name and an old childhood photo of this person and just said, you know, go at it. Um, and Francie, I had no access to any of the databases that, you know, private investigators normally have. I, you know, had no idea that um, even private investigators did have database access. I mean, I was just out of college. I was waitressing at the time. Um, no mm-hmm. real training. Um, it was all instinct. Um, and a lot of Google. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I started looking up this name, and I, you know, tried using those websites that we found, that we all see online, you know, Spokio or Intellius, um, you know, and tried to make kind of a family tree out of that, and that's where I found that, you know, the name that I was given was actually the father's name. Oh. So, when I figured out that, okay, well, that's not the right person we're trying to find, and I tried looking for, you know, his sister, and I went down that rabbit hole and um, figured out, you know, where she was. I even found her resume online, um, but she wasn't in touch with her brother. Um, so when I found the right name for, for the subject, I started looking into him, and I found I kept getting this hit on Google Images of a military magazine. Um, and finally, I was like, all right, what is this magazine? I'm going to open it up. It was weirdly the only issue that was posted online. Hmm. Um, and, and luckily, it had the subject right in there, his name. He had joined uh, the U.S. military when he was 18. Um, it had his unit, battalion, and everything. So that's kind of what got me going. Um, I called the... I actually tried calling his base in, when I found out that his battalion was in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had no idea like what the normal protocol was, but I wanted to make sure that it was the right guy before I let the attorney know that I believed that I found him. So I, I called up the base. I spoke to his commander and said, hey, you know, can I talk to so-and-so? Um, and he came on the phone and I, you know, kind of told him the story that, you know, his family's looking for him. He, you know, his family was in for a judgment. That's why they needed to locate him. Um, apparently, to, for the family to collect this judgment, the whole family needed to be present. 
And so that's why they were looking for him. Uh, so I tried to come off as, you know, non-Nigerian prince as possible on the phone. Um, but he still, he still didn't really believe me. Uh, he was like, no, you know, it's not me. I'm not the right guy. But, you know, thanks for trying. Um, for some reason, I just felt it in my gut that it really was him. So I just kept pushing. I found him on Facebook and I sent him this old childhood photo of him. And I said, if this is you, then, you know, this is really true. And, you know, please contact this attorney um, to get more details. Uh, and, you know, I told the attorney and uh, we were all, I think he was really shocked that I found him in two weeks um, with a different name, mm. you know, just using and Google. Ha- and Talia, how did he get estranged from the family? Um, I I don't really know the story. He was the son of the um, of one of the victims of the massacre, and I, I think that you know they were all from Puerto Rico, and I think that that part of the family, you know, his nuclear family, the sister as well, they weren't in touch with the rest of the family mm-hmm. that was dealing with that um, lawsuit. Wow. And I, I can see why he would think he would be very suspicious, for sure. Yeah, I don't know how I would react if I uh, got that kind of call, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did he reach out to the attorney, ultimately? Yeah, he did reach out. And um, and he thanked me later, you know. Uh, and he, you know, said it, he really didn't believe me at first. Um, I mean, it is kind of incredible. It's, it's almost the call that everybody kind of wants to hear. You know, you're mm-hmm. in for some money. Um, <laughs> so right. that's kind of what got me, you know, really into this whole world. It was completely by accident. I hadn't really considered private investigations as a career at all because it's not something that, you know, I don't know, that I grew up with learning about in school saying, yeah, you know, this is an option you can take and this right. is the road you can go down. Um so, and Absolutely I just, true. it was like a fix that you need to fill after a while. You know, you get this rush of, you know, finding what your client wants and you just, you need more after that. Exactly. Yeah, it's so exciting when you, when you solve something like that, that nobody else has been able to do particularly. And in this case, well, it had been 40 years for heaven's sakes, um, and I love, you, you wrote this article, Talia, and I love the, the quote that you said, the best place to hide a body is on, the pa- on page two of Google search results. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Because you yeah, know what? Yeah, that was people, actually an old meme that I found online, and I was like, that is so true. <laughs> and you know, people often look at just the page two, page, the first page of Google, and if there's nothing there, they go someplace else, you know. So this is really a good lesson, I think, for anybody. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, I mean, I, I kind of live by my, I, I really wasn't trained, you know, going into this um, when I took that case. And, but it's, I learned a lot of lessons that I carry with me, you know, today in that, you know, I don't want to rely too much on databases that we have. And, you know, it's really digging into as deep as possible into the internet um, and not just taking it kind of at Google page one face value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's just a terrific story. So have you had any contact with him since? Do you know anything that happened after that? No, I don't. It's funny because I think that, I mean, in my experience, um, 
it, it's kind of a common, uh, you know, thread throughout. Like you kind of get really deep into the story and, and dedicated to the story and you kind of, you know, reach your goal and you find what needs to be found. And, um, you know, you don't really know what happens after that. <laughs> or at least that's, that's my experience. That's absolutely true. So, uh, and what about that attorney? Did you get any more work from him? We did do a little bit work, um, you know, later, but not anything recent. You, interestingly, it's not something, I guess, that he always needs uh, PIs for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of a, an attorney is he? He's actually truly a uh, counterterrorism attorney and, and works on things like, um, you know, restituting um, money for victims' families, um, he w- could be, the type of involvement would be, for example, I think it was Iran who was sued um, for transferring money through a bank to finance terrorism, um, or, or actually was suing the bank. I think it was HSBC. Um, so those kinds of cases where it's really strictly about, you know, funding terrorism or helping the victims of terrorism. Hmm. Interesting. So, so I guess um, at that time you just kind of did this as a as a challenge. So ultimately, you must have gotten licensed then. Yeah. Well, so for me, you know, after that, it was it was so I don't know. It was like problem solving. You know, you're taking you're given a puzzle or some pieces or just a box, and you have to slowly put them together and build a story. Um, after that, I decided to. Instead of going for a law degree and becoming a lawyer, I just dove into this world and started working for a Manhattan-based firm, mostly Mm -hmm. uh, off of their license to get the experience you need to, so that I can get my own license later. Um, And that's what I just did, you know, recently uh, this winter. I, you know, passed the test in New York um, and I got licensed and I just started my own firm. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's, that's such a... How, so how long has this been? When did you come back from Israel and start this journey? I came back in 2011, so that's when the whole story kind of began. And it's taking you up to 2017 to get a license. Yeah, so you need in New York um, three years of experience. Um, at another PI firm working under their um, umbrella, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after that, you have to take a test, uh, pass it, and, um, you know, go jump through all of those administrative hoops. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that time, I was able to, you know, learn all of the intric- intricacies of the industry, the tricks of the trade, and all of the tools and databases available to us. Um, you know, I had no idea about any of the databases. So when I started on day one at this new company and they said, hey, look at all these cool toys you have access to now, you know. Um, I was like, if I had had this to begin with, I would have found the guy in like 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's really interesting. The licensing laws in New York are very similar to California. We also have three years and uh, to take a test. And so... Um, do you have to have any other qualifications besides that? I know you have to run your fingerprints. You have to submit your fingerprints, right? 
Yeah, you have to run your fingerprints, um, and then I guess also that they uh, do a criminal record check. Um, you need to be bonded, um, which is, you know, pretty quick uh, process. Really, it's kind of waiting for the state to get back to you and say, okay, you know, we did everything we needed to do. You're good and ready to go. Here's your license. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have to get insured um, and all that, but... Really, it's the part with the government, I guess, that takes the longest. Yeah, for sure. It always does. Um, well, that's really exciting. I, congratulations. You're off to a, a, a great adventure, really. Um, I've been doing yeah. this 30 <laughs> years, and you have um, probably 30 or more wonderful years of exciting adventures ahead of you. <laughs> so, it's really yeah, great. I'm really excited. Every day, what I love about this is every day is a different day, and, and you learn... One day you can be looking into someone who's in the pharmaceutical industry and you learn all of these fun facts about the pharmaceutical industry and then the next you could be looking into like an elevator company and you have right. all this knowledge, all this random knowledge that you get to learn. It's absolutely true. And the people you meet are, you know, you meet people from all walks of life, from, you know, from the, the poorest homeless person in the world to, you know, a corporate, uh, major corporate Fortune 500 company executive. So it's really a, a cross-section of of everybody in the United States that you have an opportunity to meet on a level that mm-hmm. most people would never have an opportunity to talk to somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. And even I think um, other meeting other PIs is so interesting because everyone has a really interesting story about how they came into the business and, um, you know, the, the backgrounds that they've had, where they've come from. I mean, it can be, you know, from being a lawyer to being a journalist. It's, it's really cool to other, meeting other people in the industry. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to go to conferences because you have that opportunity to network and, and really um, get acquainted with other people. Um, so you named your business B2B Investigations. And what, is that, I did. what does that mean? It's business to business, <laughs> B okay, two business with the number business. two and B. <laughs> okay. Okay, Talia, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. More to come from private investigator Talia Cohen. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 
C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. If you just joined the show, New York private investigator Talia Cohen is discussing how she got in this crazy business of private investigation and a uh, really interesting story. And uh, so if you missed it, you have to go back and listen to the first part of the program. But as long as we're talking about New York, let me just say that there's a conference coming up in November. It will be called the 2018 NCISS for the National Council of Investigating Security Services um, East Coast Super Conference. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be in Manhattan. Got great hotel deals. Keep your eyes open on the NCISS.org website. The organizers are Steve Rombaum from New York and Jimmy Messis from New Jersey. It's going to be a it's going to be great. There'll be pre-conference seminars and post-conference seminars and th- then three days of fun and frolic and lots of networking. So as Talia just mentioned, it's important to get acquainted with other PIs. This is an opportunity where you can meet a lot of them. So, <laughs> Talia, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some of the cases you've uh, been involved in. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, ever since I've kind of taken um, the perspective that Whatever the case may be, and I, I know we know there's several different types, you know, asset searches or just regular backgrounds on individuals, but whatever the case is, you're always trying to locate something or someone, um, and that's kind of the approach that I use, and um, I guess that's what keeps pushing me to, to find something, anything about whatever I'm looking into. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a fun case. It was another locate um, where... Someone, the client was being um, blackmailed by somebody and we needed to locate that person. Um, the person went by one of those, um, you know, Miss, you know, Sapphire type of name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was kind of in that ex- escorting uh, business. Okay. So I have, I have, I'm not familiar with that kind of business, and I don't really Google any of that stuff. So I thought, oh, well, how hard would it be to miss, find a Miss Sapphire online? Uh, <laughs> so I Googled that. Um, <laughs> I had to actually, after that, oh, I understood, you know, you don't Google Miss Sapphire and not expect to find what I found. Um, <laughs> so I had to ask the IT guy 
not to check the search history for a little while on that one. Um, but uh, slowly, slowly, I kind of peeled stuff away, and um, I actually found Miss Sapphire and um, her real name. And, you know, I gave the information to a colleague who was supposed to go uh, meet that person. But the strange thing that came up in that case was I ran a criminal records check on, you know, the, the name and the social, but a different name came up associated with that person. It was actually a male name. So, you know, I was a little bit, I was like a little taken aback, but I really, I was like, maybe it's a typo. I don't, it was a close, but, you know, different enough to be a male name. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, you know, gave the information and I said, I don't really know what this is about, if this is a typo or not, but it's a guy's name. And so my colleague went out there and quickly realized that this was actually a transgender person. Oh, wow. Yeah, that yeah, was something you weren't expecting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, and it's funny because, you know, we were like, yeah, that person's too tall to be <laughs> a woman. <Right>. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, these are kind of, I guess, new PI, not problems, but things that come up, you know, um, mm-hmm. things that, you know, people changing or relationships changing. So now it's not just about, oh, well, this is clearly this person's wife or that person's husband now you know, two men or two women could be on a deed, and uh, it's opening up a new way of, of looking at things and finding information and being aware that, you know, it's not just a man and a woman anymore in a, in a house, and you can find, uh, you know, a transgender person now. Um, you know, I, Talia, I don't think it ever changes. You're still surprised. And I've got yeah. to tell you, we're, we've been surprised, too, right now, because we've had somebody join the uh, the show that is was just logged on with us, Julian from New Jersey. Are you there? Yes, how's it going? I just have a question for Talia. Her story is so interesting. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I, I find it really interesting that you're a nomad and you've moved around a lot. Do you find yourself doing a lot of international cases? And, and what type of cases do you find most interesting? Thank you for also for taking the time to speak on this on the show, and thank you. Well, thank you for your question. <laughs> um, well, so I, I do work on international cases. Um, the fun ones are, you know, uh, international asset searches or international um, backgrounds on business individuals. Um, and um, trying to think of the rest of that question. <laughs> Uh, and what type of cases do you find most interesting as a private investigator? Oh, uh, well, the ones that I find most interesting are the ones that, you know, kind of have a twist, uh, you know, or, or something kind of juicy at the end that you can really uh, bite your teeth into. Um, you know, locating, locating someone that at first is Miss Sapphire and then you find out is a mister, um, you know, I think that that's, it's a fun story and it's really interesting. Or um, I worked on an asset search that kind of brought me all over the world. This person was um, hiding different assets all over the place from like a villa in Italy to, you know, collecting old, um, very valuable violins, um, those, the Stradivarius ones. Um, and, mm. you know, he had, he had a ranch that he kept talking about in interviews that I just had the hardest time finding, but, 
you know, through finding like shelves of shelves of shelves of companies that, you know, were in starting in Delaware and ending in uh, Jersey in England um, that actually owned his uh, ranch in, in, I think it was Wyoming or Wisconsin, something like that. Wow. Uh, it's very interesting. And once again, uh, thank you for answering. And, and your story is so inspiring for those who, who really are trying to get where you are. Thank you so Jillian, much. Jillian, are you, are you thinking about becoming an investigator or are you an investigator? Oh, I'm thinking about it. I'm I'm a college student, but uh, yeah, I, I listen to this. <laughs> okay, and um, what are you majoring? Thank you. In? Oh, I'm I'm majoring in government as well. Um, okay, that's good. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. In. Absolutely. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Thanks, Julian. Uh, so, so how you know I'm? Th- I don't do uh, the kind of work you do, Talia, and. Um, how do you go about even starting to find assets in other countries? Well, for example, in this case, it was, um, it was, I, I almost feel like it's somewhat a little bit of dash of luck every time, um, you go into this, for this mm-hmm. particular person, he kind of really enjoyed being in the spotlight. So he, you know, he was a U.S. citizen, but discussed all the time things that he loved to do. And so he would talk about, you know, all this art that he acquired. He would talk about his villa in Italy that he would go to. And, and that kind of points you in the right direction to say, okay, well, you know, now we can go and look in Italy and find, um, you know, I have a contact over in Italy from this now to say, okay, can you locate his, the owner of this house? And he posted, I think it was a real estate company that wound up posting his house on uh, YouTube, and they did a whole video of his house from, you know, paintings he had to his furniture. Um, so that kind of was pretty cool to have, you know, in public display mm. like that for someone in his position um, where we would be trying to use some of his assets. Um, he, he also always talked about um, a ranch, like I said, that he had, and that took me, you know, weeks to find because it was under, you know, shelves of shelves of shelves and, and that's when you find out, you know, like I said, random little tidbits of information, like cattle could actually be worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who would have mm-hmm. thought? Um, and so he had valuable cattle on his ranch. Um, Interesting. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun stuff, you know. It kind of, I think, starts off w- looking at, you know, everything affiliated. It almost starts off like a regular background on a person, you know figuring out who they're affiliated with, um, their um, corporate affiliations, um, and then, you know, social media is amazing because people love showing off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly right. And, you know, it's so interesting because where uh, high high rollers, so to speak, like your guy that you're talking about and, and corporate executives and companies uh, think they can hide their assets in other countries and that really no longer is the case. They can be found out as we're all hearing uh, on a daily basis as somebody that's been uh, sending sending their money offshore and it's uncovered. It's it's really yeah, fascinating it's the world we're living in right now. It's um, pretty amazing. It's all kind of, yeah, localized almost. Um, yeah. I was actually speaking to attorneys in the Cayman Islands and they were kind of... Uh, they were like, oh, well, you know, why are we, they were upset about them being known as a great place to hide assets. And they said, you know, the U.S. <laughs> is actually kind of better. 
you know, you have Delaware where you can make a company and, uh, you know, no one knows anything about um, the the people in that company and you can just buy property with that um, or make a bank account. uh, And that's kind of (laughs) true. Well, that's funny, though. To the thing. People yeah. in the Cayman Islands think they can hide money in the United States. That's that's really yeah. a uh, that's really an interesting comment. So, so what other kind of cases have you run into? Um, well, it's funny you mentioned your the annual meeting with uh, talking to uh, politicians because I actually worked on a case where um, it was a it was kind of a political affiliated type case where. Um, a politician was very anti uh, Airbnb in New York, and um, the client wanted to find out kind of why and um, if there was anything, I guess, nefarious going on with this candidate that I, I guess they could use to talk to the person or something like that. And um, I think the best, most exciting thing that I found was that the, candid- the politician's stepdaughter was using Airbnb. Um, mm. Yeah, so it was a pretty cool, like, you know, kind of research on, uh, well, A, it was interesting to learn about Airbnb because, you know, it kind of flipped my opinion on that subject. And, um, you know, B, it's pretty cool to find a way to help your client and say, well, you know, this person's saying they're against it, but, you know, their stepdaughter's using it, so maybe you can talk to her in that kind of perspective um, like that. And do you know how that played out with them? You know, it was really disappointed, be, disappointing because they actually didn't uh, use it. Oh, that is disappointing. Yeah. yeah, very anticlimactic because, you know, when you find something, you're so excited and you have this whole thrill and you're like, I nailed it. This is it, you know, and yeah. uh, you come back and, and they're like, no, we're not going to go with that. We're just going to move on. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and that happens so often with attorneys, working for attorneys. Um, you think you found yeah. this gem of information and they decide not to use it. I mean, I understand that. There's there's legal reasons, but um, but you're right. It's, it's kind of a downer <laughs> yeah. when you think you found something good. Or or the other thing is you find, found this great gem and they already know about it and they didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, that is really disheartening. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. so what what are your plans for the future? Uh, what do you... What, what are your plans for your business going forward? I'm hoping to really uh, grow my business and um, hopefully work on a lot of interesting cases that bring me, you know, to little random spots maybe in the U.S., to uh, abroad. Um, I'm really open to, to anything. Um, I love, I just love that every day is, is different, Um with this industry, you never, you wake up every day and you never know what's going to come across your desk. Mm-hmm. And that's the best part, I think. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. There's, there's never a dull moment. Although there is times, you know, for those out there that are thinking about becoming PIs or looking at the business. So some of the work is very tedious. You have to document everything. You Probably are um, probably have to write a lot of reports, so you better have good good writing skills, good vocabulary Definitely. skills, um, and think about you know presenting yourself well. Just always um, being professional, hopefully. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you know, like you said, we have kind of a reputation for being maybe a little shady, um, mm-hmm. 
but we're not like that at all. We're all incredibly law-abiding. I mean, a lot of us are, you know, ex-law enforcement, um, mm-hmm. and it's funny how we kind of develop that reputation, but it's, it's kind of a myth. It is very much of a myth, and unfortunately, it gets fostered by the t- by TV and the movies and, and all of the... Uh, uh, private investigator actor types that have gone on before us. So it, it, it's a constant battle because that is what people think of us when they meet a private investigator. Oh, do you carry a gun? Do you follow cheating spouses? Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. always what you're Yeah, asked. for sure. Oh, try try dating as a private investigator. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. So tell me about that. What happens? Do you tell them? Oh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's the inevitable, oh, what do you do question, and, um, you know, things kind of die off pretty quickly after that, uh, you know, they kind of, and it's funny, they're like, oh, well, did you look into me, and I say, honestly, you're not the most interesting person to look into, um, you know, I mean, the, the cases that, you know, I get across my desk, they're, you know, exciting, they're international, they're, you know, people hiding assets, I'm not really interested in looking at, you know, what, you have a lawsuit? Like, it's not that big of a deal, you know? Um, and I don't know if they're upset that I didn't give them the attention they wanted or, you know, <laughs> don't believe me. I don't know. It's pretty funny, though. Yeah, well, I can see. I mean, you can't see how somebody, it, you're dating somebody and they find out you're a private investigator. And it's like, oh, hmm, what do they know about me? What's happened before we talked about this? You know, I can, I can right. see how that could be a little unsettling. I guess you just have to yeah. meet another private investigator. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm sure we could make another dating app like that. Private investigator love. <laughs> yeah, what a great idea. We could have a private investigator dating app. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. So, you know, we're going to take another break shortly. Um, is there something you particularly would like to talk about um, when we come back from break? Yeah, well, we could talk about, you know, um, I have another case example if you want, or um, for the women out there, we can talk about breaking into this field that's kind of male-dominated, or, you know, that's what I was thinking. All right, we can actually we can probably do both. So have you found at any kind of a hindrance, Talia, not being formal law enforcement? Because, you know, frankly, most, probably 80% of private investigators have uh, former law enforcement experience. Has that been a hindrance? You know, um, that actually I have found has not been a hindrance because I almost feel like um, we work really well together. We both bring things, different things to the table and complement each other in that way. Um, You know, I work very closely with an uh, ex-IRS federal agent and, um, you know, we've been working on a lot of cases together and, and it's really apparent, you know, the things that I can bring to the table versus what he can bring and, um... I don't think that, you know, there's any tension in in that regard. Um, You know, and like I said, in some places in this industry, it can be difficult to break into as a woman, maybe more so as someone who doesn't have law enforcement experience. Uh Um, I mean, that's what I found, and I don't know about your experience um, as a woman. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back with Talia Cohen. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. New York private investigator Talia Cohen, newly licensed private investigator Talia Cohen, is with us today as my guest. And Talia, we're just going to talk about uh, maybe how it is for women breaking into business. So uh, what do you think about that? How difficult is it, do you think? Um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I almost feel like it's um, double-sided. Like, is, is PIs, is, is in, by nature, I think in my experience, are incredibly welcoming um but i think it is a little bit you know difficult in terms of maybe even women seeing being a pi as an option to begin with so even wanting to break into the industry can be um not even put forth as an option uh Mm -hmm. for women and coming in i think you know you are a little bit judged maybe in some ways um about you know, being in the industry and uh, maybe the work that you do. And, you know, maybe you're right, maybe it's the lack of uh, law enforcement experience, possibly for those of the women who go in and don't have law enforcement experience. Um, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think that, you know, we, those who do not have, uh, you know, law law enforcement experience do tend to work really well with um, those who do. And I think it makes for a really synergistic uh, relationship. I I totally agree with you, and I think sometimes it's um, the bias is from the law enforcement side that um, mm-hmm. because they've had training and we're getting training. My 
because uh, I, I also didn't have law enforcement experience either. And uh, and when I started, there were very few women in the business at all. And now you go to a conference and it could be 30% of the room is uh, our female. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, women are like a dog with a bone in a lot of these cases. I think <laughs> you have a lot to offer. Yeah. Well, not only that, I think I think that's true. I mean, um, you know, often we have to be better just to succeed. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I think that's the way it is wherever women are operating or in business, and we have to just be better. And and the other thing is that I think people talk easy, more easily to women. That's true. Uh, you know, I, I just picture, because what I do is I often go knock on a door cold. And if I were one of the male species, uh, they probably wouldn't talk to me or they wouldn't let, certainly wouldn't let me in their homes. And, mm-hmm. you know, get, you can go in somebody's home and sit down in their living room, talk to them as a female, which often doesn't yeah. happen as a male. I mean, I, I also true. wouldn't let a guy in either that was knocking on my door and I didn't know them. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah, it's a different um, energy, I think, that we exude, you know, as women. I think even on the phone, you know, when I try and talk to people and and get information, people are a lot more prone to giving me information, and I think that's because, I don't know, maybe they assume women are a little less uh, abrasive or, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what it is that yeah. makes people okay with, you know, more okay with talking and sharing with women. So when you call on a, somebody on a case, because a lot of your phone work is phone work, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, um, in general, if you want to confirm maybe if someone's, um, you know, at a particular, a student at a particular school or, um finding out if they're, what their hours are at work, um, you know, just things like that. And um, it, it's a lot easier to kind of go at it more directly, I think, as a female and say, oh, well, when can I reach such and such? And um, I get a, a much faster just, oh, yeah, you can, you know, she'll be here from 12 to 5, you know, on Wednesdays. And that's not a problem at all for me to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And then, then – uh, Talia, when you call, say you say you found your the person you want to talk to, and you're gonna and you're in a position where you have to interview them in, on the phone because they're too far away to meet in person. What's your approach? Do you have any particular approach, or does it just vary depending on the type of case? I think it would vary depending on the case, but I think my intent and maybe the energy I, I give off is that I'm really just. I'm honest, you know, from the get-go in, in interviews. Um, it's not supposed to come off as, like, an attacker trying to nail you on something you said. Um, it's really just trying to get to the truth. And mm-hmm. I think everyone kind of responds to that. You know, that's a really what – you, what you just said is really, really important because we're not – in business to manipulate people. So getting to the truth, our job, our job is to collect, to collect facts, to find out what people have to say 
and we're not there to manipulate the information or make it turn in the favor of our client. Now, maybe some people disagree with me on that, and there may be private investigators out there that operate differently. But in my opinion, that's the way it should be. Is you know, we're not there to, to create the story. We're there to record the story. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So, so do you have a situation that you had to be very creative about your approach, um, and then it was successful? Do you have a, a situation like that? Um, I think, in general, my approach is is trying to be trying to approach the problem in a creative way. Um, I think that's how I get the best results. Um, mm-hmm. We worked on a case way back when uh, it was a um, an asset search. A Chinese company had gone public in the U.S. and after you know getting all these investments from U.S. Um, investors and everything they went back private in China with all the money. And mm-hmm. I, they pissed off the wrong guy who invested a ton of money in the company, and he said, you know, find me everything you can. Um, and this is, you know, you always have to kind of be creative on, on where you get the information um, and how you can get to, you know, to, to the success level that your client is seeking. Um, and so in this case, it was a lot of, you know, learning about the company, where else do they have... Um, you know, different branches, um, who do they work with? Um, it's a lot of, I guess I love this, it's a lot of reading, you know, bankruptcy records and seeing if there's any yeah. little tidbits of information in there um, right. about about anything really related to their business. Um, and the fun part was when we found out that their accounting firm that they used was actually an American firm and they had a New York office. Mm. So we decided, okay, um, and and this was kind of in conjunction with the government that we were working with, the U.S. government. So we said, all right, we're going to head over to the accounting firm with a couple of marshals. And um, this is when I kind of just started working in this industry. So I thought to myself, wow, you know, everywhere you go, you get a marshal. This is, I mean, amazing. Uh, So let me ask you, how did that, so how did the marshals get involved? Um, I think it was so that, because, you know, the government was involved with this case and they wanted to make sure that we got the access that we needed and that we wouldn't be stonewalled by their in-house counsel and things like that. So, you know, when we showed up with a couple of marshals and, you know, they knock on their door with um, with their badge and you see it was off hours. So you see, you know, a little accountant come to the door and the color just drained from his face. Um, and... You walk in, it's kind of empowering, and that's what I mean, like, by working, you know, side-by-side with, you know, law enforcement, it's a really great uh, combo, and, um, you know, the I remember the in-house counsel was like, oh, you know, you can't go into this room, and, you know, the marshal kind of just snickering and saying, you know, I'm a marshal, I can go anywhere I want, um, and the in-house counsel just saying, oh, okay, and, uh, I mean, it was a really fun case, and we got the information that we needed, um, I think we stayed probably until two in the morning getting everything we needed. It's interesting. So, did they have a search warrant? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was um, all you know, totally ab- above board. Interesting. Um, and it was to find because the company was being uh, the Chinese company was you know, obviously not sharing anything. They were like, "Good luck to you. We're in China." Um, right. <laughs> so this is kind of how we went about it. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, that that's pretty empowering, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. So so having said that about get breaking into the business and these the kind of cases that you're doing, Talia, what advice would you give to other women who are interested in this? Um, I would say don't give up. Don't let anyone say that, you know, you're you can't do it. Um Definitely try and uh, find the creative solutions. Um, don't always follow, you know, the path that's given to you. You know, databases aren't everything. Um, and really rely on your gut because I think that, you know, it's a really big part of this business. And if you have a good gut, then, you know, that will never lead you in the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, and I and it also applies to men too. We shouldn't we shouldn't discount the guys uh, because it, you know guys are are sometimes a little insecure about breaking out into the business as well, and so it applies to them as well. So, Talia, it's such a pleasure to chat with you uh, today. I hope to meet you in person uh, in the fairly near future. I really Absolutely. appreciate you taking the time, and it's exciting to talk to somebody that's just starting out. I love that. Thanks. And, it was great being just, on the show. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. And I want to just thank you to my fabulous sponsors, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli from PI Magazine. This is a magazine written by private investigators for private investigators and anyone else who's written interested in this work, like Jillian, who called in. Jillian, you should con- you should get a hold of PI Magazine, the magazine for private investigators, www.pimagazine.com. And if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer of the show, Sandra Rogers, at Sandra.Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. So thank you so much, uh, Tayo, again, uh, for taking the time. Uh, thank you to PIs Declassified. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Talia. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 